Mike DeCourcy is doing the exact same thing, getting ready for, I believe, his umpteenth Final Four. He's a staple, as we well know. Does a fantastic job writing for the uh, Sporting News. Mike, what's going on, my friend? How are you today? I'm good, my friend. I'm good. Uh, boots on the ground already in uh, Houston for you? I am here, yes. All right. Very nice, very nice. Uh, so you heard me mention, I mean, you are a staple at these Final Fours. What is the exact number uh, as we head into to this one for you, my friend? This is my 33rd covering. Uh, this is the 35th I've been to. But I was between jobs on one, and I had I was still covering high schools and had started covering college uh-huh. basketball on the second and, and sat at the, up, uh, at the upper deck of the Superdome in 1987 Watched the running Rebels play the Indiana Hoosiers in one of the great games in tournament history. There you go. And yeah. and I, so I went up there last year when we were back in New Orleans, and I, I I took the escalator up and went to see what it looks like from up there. And it's a better view now because they've got video boards. <laughs> right. They didn't have them in 1987. Uh, speaking of which, so I had some people asking me about you know tickets and everything, and they go. Hey, uh, you know, I can I can get in there for under a hundred bucks for like eighty five bucks, and I go, well, look at what section that is, and then uh, they said, oh, that's like section six twenty six. I go, uh, six twenty six. You're about a mile away, and uh, the only way you're going to be watching that game is either binoculars or looking at the video boards. And they go, oh, really? <laughs> I, I will say, I will say, first of all, uh, that without la- they did have like a really bad. It was like looking at an Atari game from back in the seventies. That they did have a board. It just was impossible to see anything yeah. back in eighty seven. But I will say, I learned a lot about basketball from watching from that angle because you saw everything. You saw the whole court and watching Bob Knight's offense develop in, in you know in being able to see the whole thing. Uh, I did learn a lot and. I would recommend the Final Four experience to anyone. Um, my, my, I, I'm not the biggest uh, Final Four in Houston fan. Uh, it doesn't have quite the downtown experience that you'll get in San Antonio or Indy or New Orleans uh, or when it ever comes to Vegas. Uh, I guess right. Uh, so it, it it has it it has it has its upsides, but. Uh, but I would the Final Four experience itself is worth it, even if even if you have to resort to watching the video board, or if you choose to try to try. You, you can see; you just have to train yourself a little bit to know what looks like a basket and what doesn't. <laughs> right, <laughs> and you're right. I mean, we were totally spoiled last year in New Orleans with all of those food options and the restaurants and the bars. And again, you know, uh, bourbon street and even, you know, by where the Superdome is, uh, you know, easy getting around and, and walking to the hotel and that sort of thing. So Houston, a little bit more challenging. Um, I, I know the city pretty well because, you know, I go there quite a bit for baseball, but again, I have not been to NRG Stadium to watch the Texans because obviously who would do that, right? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I was, we have this debate on the air with, uh, you know, uh, your good friend TJ Reeves and he's going, Oh, it's going to take forever to get there. 80,000 fans and this and that because giving him a bad time. But well, you can come do the show with me on Monday. And like he wanted to cut out an hour early. I go, dude, I go, by the time I get off the air, we got two hours to get there. You're going to be fine. Relax. And now that 
what I'm hearing that, you know, this is a pre- pretty easy ticket to get uh, for fans, you know, but I said, this isn't Houston's first rodeo. They, they got this thing figured out. They got a, a pretty decent infrastructure. So yeah, it's not going to take two hours to get 15 minutes, you know, in, in a car or a lift or, or especially with the, you know, uh, the Metro rail there in Houston. Wouldn't you agree with that there, Mike? Well, I hope so. That's what they're telling us now. They aren't providing, um, uh, entrance transportation to get to the stadium. Yeah. You've got to jump on the on the on the rail. So we'll see how that goes. I have not ever been on their uh, light rail system. Uh, they, they, in the past, I've I've done the uh, the, the media shuttle thing, but that they are they will be shuttling us back because the metro rail might not run as long as we work. Right. Uh, but uh, but uh, on the way out, I got to find out how it is. So I, I will I will know better in a few days. I, I'm I'm hopeful. I want you to be the guinea pig, but before I make my way out there Saturday, Mike, uh, so you need to report back to me. You better, you better get out to that stadium and, and test it out, you know, in the next day or two. I, I have two days I got to get out there, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Mike DeCourcy joins us, covers college basketball for the Sporting News, going to his 33rd Final Four. Uh, looking forward to it. All right, Mike, so when you look at this tournament – what has been, there's been so many, you know, surprises and shockers. Uh, very little has gone as expected here. I don't know what your bracket looks like, but uh, what is the biggest surprise for you so far in the tournament? Well, I was really close to having two teams in the final four. And in this, in this uh, particular season, I would have considered that a masterful triumph, but yep. uh, the Texas Longhorns did not hold up in the final 10 minutes against Miami. And so I only have one. I did have UConn here. Uh, no, I, I had Florida Atlantic. No, I didn't. Yeah, right. I, I did. I did have UConn. Uh, I, you know, I think probably they're, they're on the, on the plus side, I think there've been some phenomenal games and it, and it centers around Marquise Noel. I think watching him, uh, in this tournament, I got to see him in person against Kentucky and he was phenomenal. And then on television against Michigan State, and he might have even been better. It, he was just phenomenal in both games and was quite good in for the first 30, 35 minutes of the Florida Atlantic game, but that, that game didn't end as well. But I think what he brought to the tournament was exactly what it needs. It would have been nice to have it here. A, a little bit of star power wouldn't have hurt this Final Four. It doesn't have much. It does have UConn uh, with the uh, with Adama Sonogo, who's an all Big East player, that doesn't hurt. Uh, uh, they, they, they're looking at, uh, you know, not as many NBA draft picks here as you ordinarily would have. You're looking at not as many big names as you ordinarily would have. We, I, we, I, I collaborated with one of my colleagues at Sporting News. This is the first time in 25 years that there hasn't been a, a, a Sporting News All American, first, second, or third team. In the final four, the first time in 25 years that not won. Wow. And we had six in 2011, uh, multiple members of the Baylor and, and Gonzaga teams, and then, uh, uh, one player from Houston as well. Uh, but this team, this one has none. Uh, that's, that's amazing to me. I, I, I knew we were getting in that direction when Drew Timmy was facing his regional final. I knew that we were, there was a possibility we'd be out of all Americans if they lost. But I did not know uh, that uh, that it was going that that was the only time it had happened. Uh, so I did some research on that. And I kept going back and back and back, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the, the, I could only go as far as '98, 
because that was when we joined our we were we were promoted to uh the sporting news the sporting news promoted to the NCAA consensus uh four teams uh are are, bl- are blended into the consensus all america put together by the NCAA and we're one of them and prior to that we were not and so the records aren't as easily found it could be it's even been even longer than that yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. That's a great stat because, you know, we know that they're, this is the first time ever in the history we haven't had a, a number one, two or three seed, uh, get there. But then, you know, to put in the perspective of not having the star power, you know, with any all Americans, that really kind of puts a, you know, tells you, you know, where this, this tournament is at. And I don't know who we blame. We blame the transfer portal. We blame parody. Uh, and that's, it's, you know, it's, it's actually a good thing, I guess, to, to say, you know, instead of use the word blame that, you know, to say parody is, is, is a very good thing. But it seems like the common denominator with these teams and usually is the case. I think you'd agree, Mike, is that you have older teams here. And, you know, when you look at like San Diego State, who has seven seniors and you got an average age of, of like, you know, 22, almost 23 years old. I mean, that really helps. Even Florida Atlantic. I mean, we see that, you know, with these teams. But, um, you know, as we know, I mean, and I think that's kind of a breath of fresh air, maybe for a lot of fans that you're not having the Kentuckys or the Dukes that we had, you know, a decade ago of the one and dones. Yeah. I think that it's, it's more than just. Uh, experience though it's it's the extra year of experience it it it, it extends the uh the difference uh, between a freshman and a senior when the senior has an an extra year or two in some cases i don't know that there's any six year players here but there have been in this in this tournament and it does extend the difference between somebody like Kyle Filipowski or Brandon Miller and a guy uh from one of you know one of San Diego State's players, uh, uh, they have multiple guys who are uh, who are six who are fifth year players, I should say. Yep. Excuse me. And so I think that makes a bigger difference uh, than is typical. I, I do think that everybody keeps rushing to the to the new wave of college athletics: transfer portal, immediate eligibility, and name, image, and likeness. And what I think is the biggest difference is the one that's not permanent, not part of the uh, long-term future of college athletics, and that's the extra year of eligibility that was granted because of the COVID year. Right, right. So let's break down these teams here. Uh, Florida Atlantic, talk a little bit about them because there are still fans that really have not got a chance to see this team play. Uh, they are better than what anybody uh, you know, uh, you know, is probably probably thinking. But this team ran off what twenty in a row at one point in time uh, this year. They're on a, a, a tremendous roll again right now. But everything that we hear about this team, uh, they're a tight knit group. They have great chemistry. They really uh, spread the ball around. Uh, they spread the floor well. They can score from inside and outside. Does this team? Uh, have the shot to continue its amazing run and get that victory against San Diego State? Oh, I think absolutely they do because, first of all, they're not being asked. They're being asked to defeat a terrific team, a veteran team, the best defensive team probably in the country this year. Statistically, maybe just a shade off that, but practically they are. Uh, they maybe don't have quite the dynamism that uh, that some of the, some of the teams that uh, – Although they do have plenty, they might not have quite the NBA level talent uh, that might have been um, 
you know, on, on some of the slightly higher rated defenses, but they are as connected and as, and as, uh, as efficient. And I don't know that I can remember a team that was more difficult to drive the ball against than they are. They are absolutely phenomenal at denying dribble penetration. So the Florida Atlantic has to deal with all of that, but they have a very productive, efficient offense. Uh, they've got legitimate talent, uh, Janelle Davis, I think, is a is a really promising player for the future. A young player, only a sophomore, six four guard, has played very well in this tournament. Elijah Martin, his backcourt partner, has been terrific as well. Uh, and the, and the one thing that maybe uh, people don't expect when they see a team that plays in a mid major league is a seven one center uh, and not a skinny guy that's out there kind of just getting pushed around. Uh, Golden is a absolutely uh, he's a he's a very physically powerful player who dictates uh, a lot of what goes on in the lane, especially at the defensive end when he's out there. So they've got they've got players that can win at this level, especially in this company. Uh, It's a team that definitely has a chance. I would still favor uh, the Aztecs because of how of how difficult they are to score against and how they seem to get every game to be uh, presented in the way that they want it to be. Uh, Every game that they they play in, it becomes a 60 or 50 point game. And some of that is the officials willingness to tolerate the way they defend. And, and I think part of the secret in that is that they are really good at not using their hands. When officials see you reach in for something like that, as we saw Poor Ryan Nemhard put his hand on the player's hip and got called for the the foul that ended Creighton's season. Uh, if you can if you can move players without using your hands, the refs are often going to allow it to allow you to be more physical, and that's what's happened with the Aztecs. Yeah, you're right. You know, we get a chance to see San Diego State here uh, quite often. You know, being from the Mountain West Conference, uh, I think what people forget, Mike, is that going back to 2020. Uh, and we didn't have a tournament because of the pandemic, this team very easily could have been a number one seed that year. And I know that they felt like, wow, we got this, you know, season taken away because if you remember, I mean, that team was, was tall. They had length. Uh, they had scoring. They had everything and they were having a phenomenal year and they legitimately could have been a number one overall seed. So this shouldn't be too much of a surprise just a few years later that this program with Brian Dutcher started by Steve Fisher is, is, is here where they are right now. And they haven't had the toughest path, but man, uh, th- this team is, has been good for a long, long time. You know, I think the difference between that team and this team, though, is Malachi Flynn. They had a legit pro. Yes. He was an All-American. Uh, he was he was not. A, I don't think he was taken the first round, but he's still in the league now and uh, and still doing well. Uh, so I think that's the difference that this team doesn't have that level of talent. But I do think it's compelling, uh, very interesting that when that tournament didn't happen in 2020. And they they probably were not going to be a one seed because they'd lost that buzzer beater to Utah State uh, in the Mountain West right. Championship game there yep. in Vegas. Uh, they probably lost their one seed that night, but they still were going to be definitely a two and have a legit shot to make it to Atlanta that year. And then it, I think when Dayton, what which was going to be on the one line, uh, if they didn't falter in their conference tournament, 
there was a feeling about Dayton that that was like a once in a generation team for them, that they missed that window and they would, might never get that there again. And I don't know, we had that conversation about San Diego State, but there had to be a feeling among Aztecs fans. Boy, are we ever going to get that chance again? Well, we had all American point guard, a terrific player, a pro. We had size and length and youth and, and are we ever going to get that chance again? And here they are. It's really cool. Three years later, a, a lot of a lot of things happened because of that that season going away, that tournament going away that wouldn't have happened to coaches and teams and players uh, if they'd been able to play in March. Uh, but this is one that's kind of being restored, and I'm really happy about that. All right, uh, UConn, Miami, Mike. Who do you like, and why? Yeah, I, I I like UConn for the whole thing. They're the, because they're, they're the one team that's here that looks like an NCAA champion. Right. If you go back over the last thirty five years, every single team had a first round pick. Every single one uh, go, dating back to nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven was the last time we didn't have that, and all we had that year was Steve Alford and Bob Knight. As <laughs> Steve's been one of the thirty greatest players in the history of college basketball. Bob might be the best coach ever, technically anyway, uh, from a X and O standpoint. Uh, and then you have uh, th- then you have the fact that uh, they have size in the middle. That's a prerequisite most years. You don't get small teams winning it like Miami. Although it's hard to call Norchetto Mir small, he's he is only six seven. You don't haven't seen that since seventy nine. Uh, and then you have the offensive and defensive efficiency that we were talking about before with Ken Palm. Uh, and you, you, other than UConn in 2014, every single team that's won the championship has been top 20 in offensive and defense of efficiency over a full season, every single one. So, uh, they're the only ones that fit any of those all, and they certainly fit all of them. Uh, so that's, that's who should win this thing, but it's not going to be easy. Especially with uh, Miami's guard play, uh, those guys are fantastic. Uh, you know, with Wong and company, those uh, it, it, it's it is compelling. And I think a lot of people, and we've get we've seen this before, as you well know, that sometimes you know you get the second semifinal of the night. You know, people are thinking, well, that should be the championship game. And you know, I think that's what we're going to be thinking on Saturday night as well too. We'd like to see these two teams maybe meet in the final. I'll be honest with you. I think that if San Diego State played Miami, I think they'd win. I don't know if that's – maybe they will. Yeah. If they did, I think I'd pick SD State. I like that team a lot. I know the difference between the Aztecs and everybody else who's played Miami to this point is that, one, they can guard Miami to an extent. And, two, they won't relent in the way that Texas did down the stretch. Texas forgot – down the final 10 minutes. You can score on Miami. Um, you know, grab a ball. We can go score on Miami. That, that's that's the way it is. I mean, they're 105th, I think, in defense. Yeah. And, they, and, they did, and, they, and they did it for about 35 minutes, too. You know? As the game yeah. tightened, yeah. then all of a sudden they started to think it. And that was where the problem was. They forgot, just keep doing what we're doing. We're going to get buckets. And if they make some, that's okay because we're up 10. And it won't, you know, but they forgot that they for, they for, they let the pressure of the game get to them and they forgot that you can score on these guys. And that's what, that's what the difference was. I don't think, I don't think the Aztecs would forget their, their you know, their advantage yeah. at that end. And I don't think they'll ever relent 
on defense. Yeah, they know what their identity is. Uh, Mike DeCourcy, great job. Sporting News. Go check out his stuff at uh, sportingnews.com. Uh, Mike, appreciate the time as always. Looking forward to seeing you in Houston, my friend. So hopefully uh, I'll look forward to it. We'll definitely catch up. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate Take it. Care. All right, there he is, Mike DeCourcy.